From McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice, I'm Sean Brown, and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. Today, we'll hear from the authors of the recent McKinsey Quarterly article, Taking the Measure of Innovation. Eric Roth is a senior partner in the Stanford office and is a global innovation leader in our strategy practice. He directs McKinsey's work in innovation globally and also co-authored the seminal article, The Eight Essentials of Innovation. Gautam Olsa and Sri Swaminathan are associate partners who are also focused on innovation. To start off, Eric, often when people think about measuring innovation performance, they think of metrics like the number of patents a company has registered. Your latest article focuses instead on a pair of innovation metrics. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, we get the question about innovation metrics quite often. And when a client asks us that question, they typically are concerned with the activity of R&D and innovation as opposed to the output and the impact of that output on performance. And so often when we address this with clients, they're interested in scorecards that are measuring number of ideas, um, ROI in a specific project, number of projects, any assorted metrics, really looking at how well or trying to look at how well their organization is performing. What's interesting is we rarely see uh, an organization taking a thoughtful approach to how it actually measures the outcome of its innovation and R&D performance over time. And so in this article, what we explored uh, actually on the back of a client question was, what is a really good, simple, and benchmarkable metric that can be used to both assess uh, the performance of R&D innovation and organization and compare it to other companies so that a CEO can understand whether or not their investments in R&D are productive relative to their competitive context and also are achieving their performance objectives over time. Thank you. Why do you think no one has used these two metrics before? Um, I think no one has used these particular metrics before because a lot of, in particular, innovation measurement activity or measurement focus has been largely on what I'll describe as upstream activity. That's the inputs into what makes innovation happen. So we see a lot of quantification of the number of ideas, the size of the portfolio. Uh, Oftentimes, an organization will get very caught up with patents and the number of patents that they are, are, are filing. And all of those, while interesting inputs into innovation R&D, don't necessarily understand or measure the monetization of those investments in your R&D and innovation activity. And as companies have explored ways to try and understand uh, how to measure the output or the outcome of their R&D investments, they've struggled largely because there are not a lot of um, common metrics across industries or across organizations that capture what our two metrics capture, which is both the investment side and uh, the outcome side in the form of profit margin uh, for the resulting impact of what R&D investments and innovation investments may have. Uh, part of the reason we think that's the case is, one, um, companies don't typically release a lot of information about their R&D investments, so there are very few commonly, de uh, um, uh, commonly described uh, metrics. Um, 
And two, if you, the belief has always been, if you really, really want to understand how to measure R&D and innovation activity, you have to have so much internal proprietary knowledge around what activities are going on, what the capabilities are associated with those activities, and the nature of the projects themselves. And so I think in many ways, um, the reason why no one has used these is because the belief had been that it was just too complicated. It was just too hard to do. Yeah, and that's what we found really appealing about these metrics. And I think when we when we work with our client as well on, on their question is, this is really a methodology that allows you to benchmark using three simple metrics that are typically available from publicly reported data, uh, which is quite unique in this context. It really only takes a view of R&D spending, of gross margins, and of the share of sales of, of spend coming from, from new product sales. And those are, are usually available and then makes it very easy to, to get a sense of how you're doing from a performance standpoint versus building these complex internal models that Eric mentioned. Thank you. Can you please share a brief overview of the two metrics and how they're constructed? So there are essentially two conversion metrics that we look at. One is the ratio of how your R&D spending is converting into new product sales. So that's just the ratio of those two numbers. And we look at new product sales typically over a time period of a number of years, which can vary by industry. So typically you'll see new product sales measured over a five-year period or a three-year period. And so what you're just doing is, is looking at the ratio of, of those two numbers uh, across each other. And that gives you essentially a, a number that, that says for each dollar of R&D spending, how much new product sales am I getting on average? So that's the first metric. The second metric is our product to margin conversion metric, which looks at for each dollar of new product sales, how many new dollars of gross margin am I generating? So that's, again, just the, the ratio of gross margin to, to new product sales. And Sean, may I add a point? One, one word, I, I just want to highlight one thing about what Gutorm mentioned, which is the word conversion. It's a very important aspect of these two metrics in the sense that we're really trying to look at um, a way to capture the ROI from these investments, not from a traditional NPV or, or um, project level analysis, but really understand, does the investment convert into meaningful profit for the overall entity over time? So you're really looking at the entity or the enterprise, more the portfolio of innovation and what the productivity is in the portfolio or what, what's coming out of that portfolio. Yes, that's right. Uh, we find these quite useful as a portfolio measure, and it can provide really interesting insights to companies uh, on how they're performing versus their peers in the same industry. We've tested this now in the chemicals industry. We've looked at the consumer goods industry, in the industrial sector, in the pharmaceuticals industry, and we see these relationships holding across various sectors. Yeah, this portfolio look is really important because what we find is that companies just get metrics wrong. They, they, they consistently metric, uh, measure at a project level instead of a portfolio level, even though they talk about portfolio. And so having had so many of these conversations, um, what we really wanted to do was make sure the portfolio view was really embedded in what we we're looking at. And, you know, this came out of a challenge question from a CEO. We literally were sitting in a, in a client meeting one day, and the CEO turned to us. He says, you know, I've looked at this metrics thing so many times. There's nothing out there. Why don't you guys come back and try to prove 
that there is some simple way that we can actually measure innovation and R&D output uh, that's reliable and benchmarkable. Because you know what? I need to go to the street and understand or and communicate to my investors that we're actually doing a better job relative to what we've done historically. And you know, when we came back, I'll never forget that meeting, and said, we've got two metrics. Uh, there was a general sense of disbelief because this particular CEO had looked at this uh, many, many, many times, and he's, he's well known for uh, his activities in, in across many companies. And he was surprised that there was something so obvious uh, and useful that was right in front of everybody's nose, so to speak. And so this notion of getting it wrong and trying to correct and get it right with some simple uh, ways of measuring is a little bit of what was underlying our, our, um, our approach here or our, our intent. So one other thing that we wanted to double click on here is how did you come up with the five-year rolling averages? Did you look at all of the different time ranges and, and what makes five years special? So the five years are in some ways tied to the innovation cycle of the industry. I think as we looked at different industries, we saw that uh, you know, in, in certain industries like consumer goods, the innovation cycle is a little bit shorter. And so it's more common to look at innovations over a, a three-year uh, period time cycle as, as you look at new product innovations. And so for that industry, it, it fits to, to look at three-year averages across margins, across R&D spending, and across product innovation. Whereas if we go to the specialty chemicals industry or, or specialty materials, Typically, a little bit longer innovation cycles, typically a five-year number is, is more common. And so for that industry, it would be more uh, appropriate to look at five-year averages. So you can get a, a sense of how your spending is evolving over a similar time period as the innovation activity is taking place and also translating into margin conversion over the same, same time period. So these metrics actually work well across industries. And the only thing that you really need to think about when you're comparing is what's the innovation timeline or the innovation cycle when you're looking at the time period over which you might do rolling averages. Is that right? Yes. There's two ways to answer that question. One is if you're just doing it internally for yourself, you absolutely want to respect the time frames of your innovation and R&D cycles. If you want to do comparable across your industry or other industries, then you're in an outside-in benchmarkable scenario where you have to see what available data uh, can, be, uh, can be collected and then adjust accordingly. But ideally, if you're doing a, a sort of a like-for-like -like within your own entity, your own company, you'd pick the, you know, the, the, the meaningful cycles of innovation and apply that number. So you're a company CEO and you want to implement these metrics. And what are the key things that an organization needs to do to start using them? And is it a significant in investment in order to do so? The, the beauty of the metrics that we've developed is really in their simplicity. It is not a huge investment to benchmark yourself using these numbers to get a sense of how you place yourself relative to peers in the industry. We've tested this now with, with several clients and it is actually extremely instructive to do a couple of things. One is for the, the company needs to gather the data on their own new product development uh, revenues and compare that as a percentage of sales. Most companies already track that as part of their innovation metrics, but if they haven't, then it's a relatively uh, simple exercise to, to have that view of how much of their own internal revenues being generated by new products. The second step is then to compare that to 
the performance within the industry. This data is often published in, in annual reports, in investor day presentations, uh, in other formats. What is particularly uh, um, informative for CEOs is to look at your company's performance versus peers on two axes. The first is to say, for every dollar of R&D that we are expending, how much new product sales are we getting and how does that compare most critically to peers in our industry? If you have a high conversion rate of R&D into new products, that can be a really good sign that you are effectively deploying your R&D resources into applications and areas that are ending up in new products. The second thing that we that you would want to look at is for the new products that I'm generating, how am I going on, on gross margin performance? And again, how do I compare against peers in my industry? And here we see a spectrum again. Some companies are highly effective at converting their new product sales into, into margin, which indicates a healthy innovation pipeline that their products are truly transformative and command a margin in the marketplace. For others, we have seen that they might be producing many new products, but those new products are not generating high gross margins, which can indicate that the new products are actually quite incremental compared to competitors, or perhaps that the cost to produce those new products is higher than you would expect. And Sean, if I could add to that, you know, one of the things that we've observed as we've gotten into this, particularly as we look at the chemical space and the materials the science space, is we feel like companies are just way too inwardly focused. Uh, as Sri pointed out, the ability for a company to do two things, one, to look at the margin impact, and two, uh, to think about um, you know, that margin in the context of its commercial execution, uh, specifically in terms of whether or not they're getting adequate pricing, is very powerful. Uh, too often we see the debate around innovation R&D portfolios resting on how much gets invested against each project uh, and budget cycles, as opposed to what kind of a return is going to be generated by those investments. And now the argument might be, well, the time cycle to development is too long, we don't know, there's all sorts of uncertainty. That is all true. However, that's also why we're, we're proposing this metric as a little bit of a look back and over time to accommodate some of those um, nuances or realities around what it takes to develop a specific product, but doesn't move away from the reality that if a product that you're putting out in the market isn't generating sufficiently high enough uh, profit margin return, then why are you investing it? it, it why are you investing in it at all? And too often we see these incremental, um, you know, projects that are out there that really won't meaningfully contribute to a company's bottom line, but are absorbing so much resource for reasons that have nothing to do with performance. So for the new product to margin conversion, uh, you know, many folks will look at disruptive innovation as something that they might invest in, but oftentimes disruptive innovations can lead to a lower margin product that could come in and undercut existing players and incumbents. So how do you square the usage of new product to margin conversion and the potential implications for investments in disruptive innovations that are coming out of a given organization? I think we need to separate the innovation strategy from 
the metrics of performance. If the strategy for innovation is explicitly to do more disruptive innovation, then the portfolio has to accommodate that and the metrics that you look at, or sorry, how you evaluate the metrics also needs to be in line with those strategic decisions. Thank you. That makes perfect sense. And I appreciate um, the opportunity to really dig in on that. I think many of our disruptive innovators will be pleased to hear how they can still leverage these metrics. In your work in creating this article, did you look at how much these measures change over time? For the industries that you studied, did you see any wide variations in year-to-year performance? Especially given that this is a five-year rolling average, you'd expect them not to change that much. But were there any, um, any that stood out in terms of the leading performance indicators over time? I think we did see interesting examples of evolutions over time. As we started to look at performance across five to 10 year periods, we would see that companies actually had the potential to improve on these metrics. And there were a handful of examples where low performers, say 10 years ago, now were transformed into either high performers on both metrics or or one of the dimensions. And that was typically associated with a change in their innovation strategy that was publicly reported. One of the things that we hope comes out of this is that companies get more focused on a holistic view of their innovation and R&D activity. Because what we have seen across industries is a high degree of variability on what I'll call the commercialization side of R&D. This whole notion of successful, cons- uh, consistently successful launch and scale is not pervasive across companies. And if you think about these metrics, they encompass both the, act, you know, the upstream activity and investment in the R&D, but more importantly, combine it with the downstream commercialization and, and realization Uh, and monetization of that R&D and innovation investments. And we think there's a massive opportunity for companies to think about the how as opposed to overly focusing on the what. Are there any pitfalls to implementing these metrics? Anything that you, um, you know, warn your clients about as they're uh, leveraging them to improve their innovation productivity? Yeah, I mean, for one, thinking that any two metrics are going to absolutely solve your innovation and R&D problems. If a company were just to take these two and rely on them uh, by themselves, I think we would say, you're in trouble. You're not getting it. So we would say this needs to be part of a portfolio of metrics, not too many. You know, we shouldn't see 16, but it's not two that help you understand how you're doing relative to your competitors so that you're getting better return uh, and, 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 and looking more positive in the eyes of investors. But also, more importantly, you're managing your organization appropriately so that you get higher, higher, higher value output over time. Have you found clients use these to compare the productivity of portfolios amongst business units? In other words, comparing business unit A to business unit B, both of which have their own portfolios of uh, different uh, R&D projects. Absolutely. And that's one of the, the ways that we've we found that you know, some of our clients actually found this most useful is not just to compare themselves against their peers, but also within their enterprise, understand how the innovation spending is being used, how efficiently 
it's being translated into new products and how efficiently these business units are generating margin uplift from them. On the new products to margin conversion, how do you incorporate the notion of uh, pricing strategy? In other words, when you unpack the, uh, the, the outcome, the, the margin, the enterprise may be coming up with some really incredible innovation, but perhaps they're taking a beating on their um, new product to margin conversion because they're not pricing it effectively. I think that's one of the potential causes that this analysis can point to. If the company does this benchmarking and says, okay, our new product to margin conversion appears to be lower than our peers are generating, it prompts the question, why? One of the reasons could be we are not pricing these products at a premium to the products that already exist in the market. Um, and therefore, our new product to margin ratio looks, looks low. There could be a good reason behind that, a deliberate reason behind that, which is a price point that is designed to generate adoption. There could be a, uh, you know, they, it may be um, an unintended consequence of um, or a, a sign that pricing strategy hasn't fully been developed for those new products. And again, when we look at this at a portfolio level, what we do is take the conversation away from one or two individual projects, but we're looking in aggregate of all of the new products that a company is producing and of all of the gross margin that a company is producing. In general, is a company higher or lower on that ratio than its peers? Before we wrap up, one final question. Earlier, Eric, I alluded to your Eight Essentials of Innovation article. Have you thought through and, and could you share with us how these routine metrics tie to that work? Measuring innovation performance is critical to understand if the investment, um, the time, all of the activity and all of the capabilities being built to push innovation is actually amounting to anything. If you think about the eight essentials, one of the core principles of the very first essential is you need to be able, the aspiration, so aspire, is you need to be able to set a very clear destination or North Star that's bold and plausible, but describe it in enough clarity and granularity so that you can measure not only when you've gotten there, but how you're doing along the way. And if we look at each one of the essentials, I think we would find, and I know we would find, there are metrics embedded in all of them. And what the eight essentials really are trying to do is help a company reflect on its current performance relative to uh, innovation and also be, give it a chance, to, uh, give it an uh, opportunity to benchmark it against others. Um, and more importantly, reorient the activity around innovation towards value creation. In the end of the day, a company that performs well across the eight essentials is one that consistently creates new products, services, experiences, and business models over time that create substantial value relative to its performance. I can't think of two better metrics that would be indicators of exactly that than the two we've got in this article. That's all from Inside the Strategy Room. And Eric, Shree, 
Gatorm, thanks again for joining us. And you can find the edited transcript of this podcast on McKinsey.com and on our Insights app, along with a copy of the original article, Taking the Measure of Innovation. And be sure to connect with us there and on LinkedIn and Twitter. 